see we're on a mission from God. I'm your host, Amanda Qureshi, also known as The Q. And today I am speaking with Dr. Ashley Maltz. She is a, what do, what do we call you? Like, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I don't really know exactly okay. what we so call you. I go by integrative medicine physician. Ah, okay. But you're, you're actually a doc doc. Like you went yeah. to medical school. Yeah, that's and then the physician part comes in and we can talk about like what, does that mean? And how does that make me different from going to see any doctor or um, a health coach or, you know, like there's difference. There's a little bit just, just different. Okay. All right. Well, first, before we do that, I want to tell people that um, the way that I met you was through the Sisterhood of Salam Shalom, because we were both involved, or we are involved with this group that does sort of relationship building between Jewish and Muslim women. And so I met you in our cohort that is here in Austin. You're just such a cool laid back person. And actually we have a lot of cool laid back people in Austin or in our, you know, especially in our little cohort, but um, you're just so interesting because of your personal history and because of what you do for a living. And so I'm really excited that you're going to be spending some time with me talking about those things. Um, As you may or may not know on my podcast, I always kick things off with some icebreaker questions. Okay. (laughs) Are you ready? You look a little you look a little nervous. Don't be nervous. No, I'm game. I'm not going to ask you anything too personal. No, I'm just kidding. These are very easy. They are indeed icebreakers. So, number 1. The first question is what was the last thing that you watched on television? Okay. So, if it has it's formally officially like on the TV through the TV channels, at this point, TV is any number of things, right. but I'm going to say it was on a, an actual television screen, okay. not your computer. So yes, anything that you watched on your television. So <laughs> I don't have cable mm-hmm. and I would have had a little extra free time lately. And I have been watching old reruns of Roseanne. Oh, I'm like, yeah, the 90s or 80s or I don't even know when she was around. And, you know, it just takes me back to like Darlene and Becky and DJ and, mm-hmm. and just life back in the 90s. And it yeah. just, it's also just because it's, that's just what's there. I, I, I'm not super picky about my entertainment. So um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you watch it on? Like what, what I have an actual TV screen, like a a TV. I know, but are you watching it like on Hulu or Netflix? Oh no, no, no. It's on like, like the basic cable channels. I want to say like something called cozy TV, which never existed before I on cable and it's got reruns. Oh, and Frasier has Mm -hmm. great reruns of Frasier. So I, those are like the things I watch, sometimes friends will come on. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. <laughs> this is all, this is where I would, yeah, these were my favorite shows like in 1990, what, 95 or whatever. Yeah. 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 And just looking at the style and um, <laughs> it takes me back. It's good yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Roseanne is, so two things about Roseanne. One, 
it was a great show. And Laurie Metcalf is totally underappreciated as an actress. Like she is damned hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best. She was the she's aunt. What's her name? Aunt Jackie. Jackie, yeah, hilarious. But the whole show was great, and I I loved it. Right, I, I remember watching it all the time. However, Roseanne actually sent a bunch of trolls after me on Twitter once. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, I know. I think I was saying, so she's very pro-Israel, right? And I think uh. I had made some comment. And it wasn't even super, super critical, but it was, you know, it was something about Israel. And she, like, got really mad or something. I don't know. And she, like, told everybody to, like, a bunch of followers to to come and attack me. And I was like, whoa, take it easy there, funny lady. That's not funny. How did she even like get, see you? I mean, no I offense. Know. Like, I, I mean, she's well, in well, I, mean. I presume, I mean, you are big, but <laughs> I, I would no, imagine I, she lives in a different world than the majority of us. I have know? no idea. I mean, you know how Twitter works. It's like a weird ecosystem. Yeah. Different people will retweet things. It might have been on a hashtag. I have no idea. I was yeah. just like, my first thought was like, oh my God, Roseanne, she tweeted me. And then I was like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a lot of controversy around her now because she sent middle of the night tweets about Kamala and very, very racist things. That Really? She, oh yeah, you should oh. look that up. So actually her castmates, Becky, Darlene, DJ, all, they cut ties with her. They, oh. and now they're creating a new show called The Connors without Roseanne. What? Can you do that? I know. <laughs> it's bizarre. I was reading all about it because I was like, I knew there was something that went off with them. And then that, I, I actually, the new, they were showing the newer episodes from maybe like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who, who are these? There's um, all the kids move back into the house with their kids, which is bizarre, ah. but you know, life circumstances. And um, I, I think DJ adopted a, a African-American child. And so I was like, who, where did, or something, because there's this child who's mm-hmm. clearly not from <laughs> the, the family. <laughs> and I was just like, who, what, I was trying to look into the backstory of that. And then I found all this other stuff that she she says it and she was on Ambien in the middle of the night and it caused her to tweet these really racist things about Kamala. And I just, yeah. So wow, all that out of it and you just watch the show, it's still an entertaining show. It's a great show. Look, I'm one of these people that I don't have a hard time detaching the product from the person. Like I, I recognize that much of the art and music that I enjoy and have enjoyed throughout history has been made by people that were brilliant, but also possibly assholes, right? Like, that's just how it works. Like, you don't have to be uh, a good person to make great art. And so, I mean, I get that. And I mean, I try not to throw too much money at people that I know are terrible people, but also some of it's okay. Like, if I were to cut off everybody who was problematic, (laughs) like, I would have very very few things to choose from. So right, right. that is to say. And bottom line is we're all human beings and we're all biased and we all have our beliefs. Whether mm-hmm. or not they're true is another story, but we have our beliefs. And, right. you know, I'm talking about like 8 p.m. very mindless entertainment, you know. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And let us say unequivocally that that show was groundbreaking and it was very well done. It was very funny. Like the original Roseanne was just really 
amazing. Right. Yeah. Right. I like yeah. it when my icebreakers lead to interesting conversations. Yes. Okay. The second question is, what's the last book that you read? Oh, um, it's been a little while. I've not been on a reading kick lately mm-hmm. for some reason. The one that pops in my mind is a book called Buried Rivers. And it's mm-hmm. about, it's brilliant. I loved it. I read it so quickly and I gave it to my mom and I gave it to my ex-partner. And I, like, I was like, everyone has to read this. It's about a, it's a true story of a woman in Denver or Boulder. I'm sorry. I can't remember her name, but anyway, she's born to Holocaust survivors Mm. in New York city and grows up that way and ends up in her teenage years. Like she was born in like the sixties, I think. Um, In her teen years, she decides she becomes a Buddhist. She runs away, you know, becomes a Buddhist or is rejected kind of by her very Jewish parents. And um, she ends up in Boulder and, you know, living her life. And then all of a sudden she decides she wants to, she gets called. Like she starts having these weird experiences and she ends up going to Germany Hmm. or no, she goes to Poland Mm -hmm. to rediscover and connect with that side of her. And through her meditations has these really profound connections with her her ancestors who were killed in the Holocaust. Mm. So, it, and she heals, she's like healing a part of that. So it's a, it's Buddhism combined with some Judaism, with Holocaust, with spiritual, like, I don't know, I'm really into kind of the spirit world and, and mediums and things like that. So yeah. it's a really good book. I, well, and I, what's it called again? Buried Rivers, B-U-R-I-E-D. Wow. Yeah. I haven't heard of it. It sounds super intense. It's not a happy book. I cried mm-hmm. at times like I was, but mostly because I felt a connection to, mm-hmm. to that and where she was. And my, my grandmother was from Poland and like right there. And it, it, it trickles down in our DNA and mm-hmm. our, you know, the things that the stories were told and the guilt we might feel about living Survival. our Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Like differently than our ancestors. So um, you know, it had, it had profound implications for me. So I, I enjoyed it, but I, yeah. but I, I think everyone should read it. I think it's a great book. I think that that sounds really interesting and it kind of goes along with this thread I've been following around identity in this country because, you know, we have such a strange culture here or lack thereof where a lot of people even if you know where you came from, even if you know who your ancestors were, because you've done the genealogy or whatever, you aren't, you know, the average adult here, I don't know if they're really, if there's really a connection to a lineage and to a culture and to their, to their ancestry. I mean, I feel this profoundly. I wasn't even close to my own grandparents growing up. So you look at how human beings sort of evolved and we have this need, this psychological and emotional need to to know where we're from and to have like this identity that's rooted in something. And in America, there's really very little that ties us all together as as a society. And so you see a lot of people that are just out there kind of searching and um, and I think that that leads to some really strange things, right? I think that that leads to some really strange sort of attempts at self-definition that play out in all kinds of weird, sometimes wonderful, and sometimes really destructive ways. You know, a lot of times you 
you hear that people who are attracted to cults or gangs or or who are you know involved in terrorism they are they're kind of alone in the world right they feel detached they don't really know where they belong they don't have a place and so these groups attract them because it gives them a sense of belonging and identity and that's really i don't know i feel like it's a i don't know if it's inevitable in in our society, or if it's just a byproduct of having such a pluralistic environment. But one of the things I learned or I've admired um, from being around so many Jewish people is is that there is that kind of uh, the most of the Jews I know do have some kind of connection to their to an identity that supersedes just their average Americanness. Yeah. So just to give you an insight into my, the way my identity was formed, my parents are immigrants and the South African Jewish community is very different than it is here in America from what I grew up around. It's very um, insulated, very, uh, it's more like it was back in the old countries, you know, in, in Eastern Europe, you know, and that has its pros and it has its cons, right? So I grew up I was the first American of my family. I was, I can run for president. Thank you very much. I will not. Um, but I can. And, I would vote for you, FYI. Well, thank you. So I grew up in Houston, in Texas, in to South African immigrants. So my, and, and Jewish South African immigrants. So my first identity, I would say, was Jewish. Jewish, American, South African, Texan. Like it went from like these small circles out, you know, and then globalist. So when I, when we traveled as a family vacation, it was every couple of years and we would travel back to South Africa. We never went, oh, maybe once or twice, went to Florida. Like it, we didn't do a lot of inner America travel. It was always, you know, my parents were saving up for, to take the whole family back to see my cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and all the things. So it, it, you know, I've had to unpack a lot <laughs> of identities and then female, put female on top of it. And yeah. it's like even more because South African women and at least the ones that I was raised around are very proper, very in their place of the kitchen and, you know, very much, uh, you know, I grew up serving my dad and my brother dinner until I was a teenager and I decided I was not going to serve my brother anymore. My dad, I will happily serve till the day I die, but my brother, he can get it himself. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, so men ate first and then women would get their plates and then, you know, it's just, and it wasn't like oppressive. We weren't forced, we weren't abused in any way, but it's just yet another layer of like identity. And it's fascinating to me to think back and how far and different my life is from that. And now I'm in Austin and everyone's like egalitarian and pluralistic and everyone, you know, women empowerment and all the, and, and it's been like that for, you know, everywhere I've lived, but m more so in Austin. And I consciously chose Austin to move to back to because I wanted that. I wanted progressive values and, and to, you know, be accepted for whatever and whoever I am and, and not have to be, have all these, but I, and that being said, I still love my South African community. I still love my Jewish identity. You know, I'm proud. I'm from Texas most of the time. 
um, you know, so it's really, it's, it's really interesting. Are you markedly different from the rest of your family as you live now in the way that you live now? Or do you think that they've also kind of during the years that they've been here, maybe changed and become more aligned to the culture here? Everyone has Americanized, I would say, yeah. for the most part. Um, religion no longer plays as much of a value in our family's lives. And honestly, it's kind of sad. Like, mm. you know, a lot of my cousins, they all have their families and, and I'm, I love them all to death and I take them as they are. I could care less. But we, we really used to get together every Friday night and as a whole family, like, I was the baby of the cousins, so I ha- I loved it. I was like, my cousins are coming, and my my grandparents, and you know, and now you know everyone's got their soccer and tennis and gymnastics and all the different things on Friday nights and Saturdays, and like we just there's just not that much of an effort made mm-hmm. towards that. So I do miss that, and also they're all in Houston. I live in Austin, so but but yeah, there is there is like a secularization that has happened and it's great on some levels. And then it's also like, I miss how I grew up, but right. that doesn't mean one way is better than the other. It's just yeah. how I guess I'm holding on to the past, you know? I don't know. I, I feel like that's, it's not a judgment of whether it was better or worse, but I think that it's okay to have that kind of nostalgia for, for the things and the places and the people that formed you. And and that doesn't mean that you don't like or value where you are now. And I don't, I kind of feel like we are asked to make that choice a lot. Like, is, are you, are you better person now? Well, I'm a different person now. Right? And um, I don't know. So in some ways I am. And in some ways, maybe I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I used to, oh God, the, the family traditions were so important to me growing yeah. up. And now, you know, they are, but they're not as much. And, and, and I'm, I don't have children. So that's the other part. Everyone else has children and, you know, they're, they're growing up and I'm watching them go on and soon they'll be having their own kids. And I'm just like, that's crazy. (laughs) But, um, you know, we, the, the major traditions are still kept and, and that's fun to be a part of, but, um, there is something like, you know, it's just, I miss the old days of being around, my family. And, yeah. You know, Fair especially enough. now with the pandemic, it's been really rough, like with that. Yeah. So yep. Thanksgiving, I mean, that's a universal holiday that we all love to get together for. And, not, you know, we didn't have it this year. Yeah. We didn't have our Hanukkah party, you know, like there's just a lot of, but we're not having it. I'm curious to know. Yeah, that's right. It's Hanukkah started yeah. last night. Happy Hanukkah. Yes. Thank you. Um, I'm curious how, how, what we're going through right now, you know, speaking of what you were saying and how it's changed in your life, I'm just curious to see how it plays out on a societal level after all of this like year long detachment that we've had from even some of the closest people in our lives. And what, what is it going to look like as we go forward? And I don't, I don't know. I, and again, I don't want to make a judgment about it but I also can't help but feel 
nostalgic, right, about the ways that we were doing things for a long time. And will we ever have concerts again? I don't know. I don't know. And I hope so. Yeah, I think we will. I just think it might look a little bit different, similar to when 9-11 happened mm-hmm. and you have to have scanners and your backpack scanned and all that um, and airports. But yeah, I, I don't have the answers for that either. I think it'll mm-hmm. be a really interesting thing going forward. It's yeah. kind of an experiment almost. I hope we can kind of get back to normal, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I feel like some people are super keen to it, right? They just, they can't wait to get back. And I feel like other people, I don't want to say are broken, but they've kind of like, they're just like, I will never go back to being the person that I was before. And so it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out simultaneously when we're finally free to kind of move about the country. (laughs) You are free to move about the country. Yeah. (laughs) um, And travel. I mean, I, I long, I really and longing to get out there again yeah you know yeah but at the same time it's kind of cozy and happy at home you know it's this weird dynamic of being comfortable and where you are and and probably what most people have experienced as a human for since pre our times you know like they weren't able to just hop on a flight and go wherever they wanted yeah um and if they did it was super expensive and you know Mm -hmm kind of once in a lifetime type thing. So yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. It's, it's interesting. We've taken a lot for granted and we'll see how it all plays out. All right. The last icebreaker question. And then we can start talking. <laughs> <laughs> Is what did you have for breakfast? What did I? Oh, I had, oh my God. I have discovered the best hummus. And oh. Yes. Okay. You probably are a hummus aficionado. I do like the hummus. Yeah. So I had, it's called Majestic Sprouted Hummus. What? Yes. Just the name is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to call it the most magical or majestic sprouted hummus when I posted about it this morning, but I I was like, well, that's the name of the product. Um, And I got it at Natural Nature not nature's grocers, natural uh-huh. grocers. I hardly ever go there. I just happened to be at the triangle for an errand and I went in and I found it and it is delicious. Really? What's different about it? I, it's creamy and is it chickpea like, hummus? Yeah. Huh. It's not thin. It's like thick ish. Uh-huh. It's just the perfect consistency. I don't know what the difference is other than it's sprouted. Mm-hmm. garbanzo beans so I, I don't I don't really understand the difference but it is worth a try for sure and I put them on these Trader Joe's has these amazing um, flax and all these different seed crackers that I get they're Norwegian flatbread and they're gluten-free mm. and they are also to die for so the two together good combo excellent yeah tell me again the the brand of this hummus it's called Majestic Sprouted Hummus. I can go find it. I can get it. Well, it's okay. You can always just text me a, co- okay. a picture of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I know my, where Natural Grocers is. I'll, it's on I'll, my Instagram today. So. <laughs> you, you grammed it? <laughs> I, it's that good. It, I felt like the whole world needs to know about it. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not one of those people that doesn't like it. Like, I don't understand when people say, 
you know, nobody wants to see a picture of your lunch or whatever. I'm like, I fucking want to see a picture of everybody's lunch. Like, I, all I want to see on my Instagram is some food. Just take pictures of food, please. Yes. <laughs> who, the, who are you? Like, what kind of content police are you? Get out of here. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I like a nice mix. Uh, I like inspiring, you know, pictures and quotes and things. And then I, every now and then, if you've got a good product or chocolate or something, I, I've got to know. I want to know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a, a fine breakfast and I congratulate you on it. Thank you. All right. So now I want to talk to you about integrated medicine and I'm going to be very forthright and say that I'm also one of these people who I'm very experimental. I will try almost anything and I have tried a lot of things and I, I like doing all of that. I am also skeptical of certain things. So I think that there's a lot of things that have value, but I don't think that they have the value that people think they have, <laughs> right? So a perfect example would be um, like essential oils, which I love and I buy them and I use them, but I don't know that they have necessarily healing properties. I think they have psychological properties. I think they have emotional properties, um, which again, are connected to your whole mind body health situation. So maybe in some way they do help, but like, I don't know that I would trust, you know, it like, like an oil to do some kind of um, disinfecting or something like that. I don't know. All I'm saying is I'm very skeptical about all claims, even medical, like Western medical claims. I'm skeptical about a lot of things. So, so what I want you to do is kind of help me understand as somebody who has both kinds of training, right? Which I don't, there's not a lot of people that I've talked to that can say that they are an expert in both areas. You've been through the Western medicine track and you also do a lot of this sort of holistic integrated stuff too. Right. So talk to me about how you got to the point where you are. Uh huh. And then um, what you think is the value of doing it your way. Okay. Those are very big questions. So my journey, um, it really kind of all began in my parents' house, I would say. I grew up around lots of, as I mentioned, I'm South African, South African doctors mm -hmm. who are excellent diagnosticians and clinicians. They are trained to be some of the best in the world. And they're extremely allopathically oriented. So if it didn't come from a guideline or the American Academy of whoever, then it doesn't exist in there. That's how, that's the gist I got growing up. Granted, I didn't really know anything about alternative or holistic medicine growing up. All I knew is I need to be healthy and I need to eat lots of vegetables, and my dad exercises constantly, and, and I had a very big interest in psychology and just growing up, and well, in college, I guess, um, having gone through a lot through my, for myself. So it's kind of like a long, pro I can't say there was like, this is how I became who I am today. I had a lightning bolt, you know, it, mm. it's, it started, the seeds were planted then. I grew up in a household with my dad's an eye doctor, my aunt's a nurse, my cousin's a social worker, my other cousin's a occupational therapist. And we would all just kind of talk shop, you know, and it's fun. I loved it. So 
I grew up and I was very, um, I found that science, I could do it. I was really good at it when I applied myself and it, it didn't come naturally, but I like could do it. And I was really got kind of like addicted to that feeling good of doing. And so the next best step is I, I always wanted to influence people in a big way. And um, I felt like I needed to go to medical school to do that. I could have become a barista at Starbucks. And you would be the most, the world's most overqualified barista. I would have been very happy, actually. I love people and I love, you know, making their day and, you know, get to use your hands and it's fun. Like you don't, anyway, I really wanted to like, I wanted people to trust me. So I felt like this is the, this is the only way that'll ever happen, which is so not true, but that's what I thought. So I went to med school and happened to, the doors opened, like I just happened to get in and my scores were decent enough and I had enough extracurriculars and I interviewed really well and blah, blah, blah. Um, I know people with better scores who did not get in on the first try, you know? So like, I was like, whoa, clearly this is a method. I got to go, right? So I went and I actually loved med school. I blossomed. The people, everyone was so smart and well-read and well-traveled and, you know, just, we could have philosophical conversations. I didn't feel that from my friends growing up. So like I was seeking that, that type of, um, not that they're not well-read and all that, but it just was more of an intellectual stimulation that mm-hmm. I had never had before. Where did you go to med school? In Galveston. Okay. UCMB. Okay. And while I was there, my second year of, of school, uh, it's all like lectures and you're, you're in school all day pretty much for two years. And then you go to do your clinicals. But my second year, we had a professor. He came to speak to us about integrative medicine. And oh. while the rest of my classmates were either laughing about it, like, ha ha, this is such BS, or fall asleep, I was like, eyeballs are big and my ears are up and I'm, I'm excited and I want to learn more. Right. So, and I went and I did a rotation with him and just learned about chiropractic. I learned about acupuncture. I learned about all these really cool things, mind, body, spirit, nutrition, these things that they don't teach you in medical school, like Mm -hmm. nothing. You get, what is a macro? What is a protein? How is it broken down by the body? What is a carb? How is it broken down by the body? How the fat? but you don't get like clinical information that you can use. And that he kind of, he also introduced me to the University of Arizona uh, Center for Integrative Medicine founded by Andrew Weil. And that led me on a path of academic learning and, and exploration and all this really cool stuff. And I went to go do a four week rotation there in my fourth year of med school in Tucson best month of my life still. Like I, oh, so What fun. was great about it? So my fourth year of med school, we this is after you go through two years of rigorous, rigorous academic testing. And then a third year of, and boards, you start your board exams, a third year of clinicals where you're in the hospital at 5 a.m. till 7 p.m. every day. And you're constantly being tested and feeling every month is a new boss and a new team and a new rotation. And you're just like, Oh, so, and this was at the end of my fourth year okay. of, of all of that. And you're trying to figure out what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And then you go to Arizona and they're like, you get to relax and do self care. And we're going to talk 
we're going to talk about like the mind, body, and spirit of, of medicine and, and the art of medicine. And, and there's some of that woven in through med school, but this was like just an intensive, like I had acupuncture for the first time there. Oh, It was like an endorphin rush. Like I had never felt before, you know, I went, studied and worked with someone with Feldenkrais method, which is like a mi- very mindful movement. You know, you got to relax. I had a massage, like things like that. It just was, and you were around people who'd been going through the same rigors as you. And mm-hmm. we just, we clicked as a group, like instantly. We were just good, you know. I'm still very close friends with some of those people from 2007. Wow. Um, yeah. And then to name, to even add on top of that, there was the intellectual stimulation of learning every day from the top of the top in integrative medicine. So Dr. Weil came and spoke with us and we got to meet with him and Dr. Randy Horowitz, who's a well, very well-known allergist and immunologist in the integrative world. Dr. Tarona Lodog, who like I idolize and I love to death. She's amazing. She could speak for rattling off evidence for like 20 hours and not stop. She's amazing. Uh-huh. I don't know how she does that. So it was just an amazing time and it was fun. We got to go out and do stuff, you know, it was just fun. Anyway, yeah. then I went to residency in Galveston and that was not fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> not fun at all. <laughs> there was no fun to be had for a few years. You're really selling it. You're yeah. Really selling it. I don't recommend residency. Yeah. <laughs> Um, lots of learning, trying not to kill people, trying not to harm them, you know, that's the main goal. And then I returned to my roots in my fourth year of residency. I got to do lots of rotations in public policy and MD Anderson, and they just so happened to be featuring Dr. Tarona Lodog, who I just mentioned during the one week a year that they have a integrative medicine observership and clerkship and research week at MD Anderson. And she happened to be the speaker that week. And so I went up to her at the end and I was like, hi, you remember me? She's like, oh, hi, Ashley. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And um, she remembers everyone. She's amazing. And I asked if there was like a fellowship I could do that is not, so there, the University of Arizona fellowship that you have to pay for. It's a paid tuition. I see. But I wanted to get paid. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I, and she said, yeah, actually, there's a spot open in Stamford, Connecticut with this program. And I was like, oh, my God, Stamford. I love Stamford in California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't, I had never heard of Stamford, Connecticut. But anyway, long story short, I got in, I rotated through there. I spent two years there, and that was amazing. Amazing mentors. Learned everything from hypnosis. I don't practice hypnosis, but I could, you know, I could have gone that route. Medical acupuncture, nutrition, supplements, a little bit of functional medicine, things like that. So it's been a long journey. It's, and then add on, then I, so I was in Connecticut for two years and I moved to Albuquerque for two years for a mm. staff faculty position at the university there. Um, and then decided to come back home to Austin. And that was 2015 and Dylan's just been a journey since then. Wow. So basically, if I have this correct, and I may totally botch this because I don't really understand mm-hmm. medicine as a career. You went through medical school, you did all of the typical medical stuff. And then at, at one point, you were exposed through the academic channel 
you were exposed to this idea of integrated medicine, even though it's not given a lot of credence or weight, it's still somewhat part of this education process. And it just sort of, you, you took to it and kind of made some contacts within it and then realized that it was an essential piece to how you wanted to practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how does that make your, so now you're, you work as a doctor. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an yeah. integrative medicine physician. And that's, okay. so I offer holistic primary care mm-hmm. to patients as well as integrative medicine consultations. Mm-hmm. So you have an issue that you've been through the ringer with and you want another approach. You've been through the allopathic ringer. I mean, you've been to all the doctors, yeah. you've had all the workups and you're looking for something else because either you've not gotten results from that way or you're just open. You want to learn other ways of doing things, mm-hmm. uh, off medication, whatever it is. I will say medicine is great. Like it really can, can help control things, but it can also, and often does have adverse side effects. So a lot of people seek me out to come off of whatever they're on Mm. because they, they know there's another way. I mean, it's become really popular now to know this back 10 years ago, it wasn't that popular. And even 13, 15 years ago, it was like, I was people, my med school classmates, I, want, I remember one of them, he's a cardiologist and he, we used to study together and he was a good friend and he used to laugh and laugh and laugh at like all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and I like, as opposed to that was like, yes, this is where the mind, body, spirit, nutrition, physical, the whole connection comes because- Why, why do you think it made no sense to him and perfect sense to you? I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think maybe my, our backgrounds, just how we grew up. Like I'm, I don't know. I'm a feeler. I feel how I, yeah, like I, I've struggled with my own anxiety, depression, fatigue, chronic fatigue my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I know I feel something and no one can explain it. My labs are all normal, you know, yeah. and I've been through that. I know what that's like, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I think maybe just an open-mindedness, you know, I, I don't personally need to see all the randomized controlled trials on things. Like I'm okay with, oh, this made me feel better. I'm going to do more of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. As long as it's not harmful, mm-hmm. you know, and yes, I will guide people with evidence or lack thereof, but we have to get off this train of like evidence in that way being dogma mm-hmm. because it becomes dogma. I think that's right. Now, look, I have to say, I've had my own share of, you know, health challenges. My daughter has health challenges. I've been through the Western medical system, and it is incredibly difficult. Just the just the way that it is, just the way that it is as an industry, but also the idea that it's broken down into these specialties, and sometimes you have multiple things that you're trying to manage, and the specialists are all kind of off in their own little island looking at one piece, and nobody's synthesizing all that information, and it's really, you have to, you you could literally do it as a full-time job, advocate for your own health, and like try to make it make sense, because right. there's no one who does that for you, so it is incredibly challenging to do yeah. that, uh, and, well, and I do. There's someone who does that for you, if you're oh. looking outside the box. I see. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Well, but, but it's not, I mean, I don't want to go off on the 
the insurance tangent, <laughs> but it's not what is offered. Like yeah. that's not offered as the, the solution. Right? I get it. It's, it's all kind of like just whack-a-mole. Um, and, and unless you are incredible, like I was, my daughter and I have had this conversation and I was like, look, we're so frustrated sometimes and so challenged by what we're trying to figure out. And we're in the best case scenario. Like we have, you know, a stable family insurance, you know, you've got uh, a mom. Um, I have a job that allows me to take off and go to your doctor's appointments when you need to go. Like all of this stuff. Imagine like most people don't have the situation that we have and they're still trying to deal with these kinds of issues. It's overwhelming. And especially overwhelming. You're not feeling well. That mm-hmm. adds, and, and or you have like brain fog and you can't keep the pieces together. It's, I, I absolutely understand and get it. Yeah. And I yeah. wish our system was a completely different way. And, and it's changing. So we do have to be patient. And, you know, I've watched the change, like just in my short little career, you know, of over 10 years, 15 years ish, the words functional medicine did not exist in the vernacular or in the popular at all. I didn't even know what it was until about 10 years ago. And then integrative medicine is not as popular for some reason, even though it's been around and it, everyone, people, most people know Andy Weil, the bearded guy. The yeah, bearded, yeah, for sure. But they don't know integrative medicine, that mm-hmm. term. So it's like this weird, I often have to explain what I do and what integrative medicine is versus functional medicine versus, you know, and now acupuncture is now being covered by a lot of insurance. That's plans. right. You know, even Medicare will pay for it. And for even back in my, in my fellowship, hypnosis was covered by Medicare. Hmm. But the catch is Medicare reimburses such low rates that who's going to take that in as a, as a hypnos- hypnotherapist? They spend like a really long time with people. Mm-hmm. For 50 bucks, it's like you can't put a roof over your head. Our system is horribly complex and not health inducing. Mm-hmm. It is traumatizing to people. Yes, yes. I, I've had patients come to me and say, I have medical trauma. Yeah. Yep. And I need someone who's aware of that. And I'm like, I'm your gal because it, I've had medical trauma. Like yeah. I, I, I know what it's like, you know, and um, I don't wish that upon anyone. That, that's, it's horrible. Right. It's, a, it, it's like one of the most vulnerable places that you can be with, you know, with your health and, you know, there's so many fears and insecurities and concerns and and your own mortality that's like in front of you. And then you're just trying to navigate this incredibly cold and clinical system that just at the end of the day, doesn't care. It doesn't care that that system doesn't care. There are individual providers that might care, but even they are so limited by what they can do because of um, financial and, and legal reasons. So it's just, you know, it's really challenging. I appreciate that. And I do say, even as a skeptic, like I'm on the same uh, line of thinking that you are, which is that I do, like I said, I experiment a lot. So if I try something and it, it makes me feel better, I'm not a fool. I'm like, yeah, I'll, all right, I'm going to keep doing it, right? Like I, I take certain uh, supplements. Like I love my, vit- my vitamin Bs, man. Like they make a difference in my life and you can say whatever you want to say about it, but I know for a fact that it works for me. So um, like, there are certain things that I, I'll try, but um, I don't necessarily, I don't know that there are 
reasons to make broad sweeping statements about them. And I think that's where the, the issue comes up. The other thing is, and we must be, we must be honest about this. I too lived in Albuquerque for a while. <laughs> so I know, uh, and, 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 you know, I mean, I say that because that particular area has just like a lot of these types of people. There are some very, there are people who take this and they just are nuts. Like, like they, they, this is not um, a pr like a, an actual practice for them as much as just sort of magic. Like it's very like magical thinking. I understand that you don't have to know all of the specific reasons why things happen, but also doing things in a systematic way and like being able to keep um, accountability between what you're charging someone, the kind of service that you're providing for someone and their outcomes is, is essential. Like if you're going to call yourself a physician or a healer of any kind. Right. So I will say as, you know, I can't speak to other people, obviously, but um, I think that's kind of the golden nugget for me is that I, I do informed consent. That's basically it. Mm -hmm. Yes, this works. What I'll tell my patients is, first of all, we always get labs or, or if they have labs, I review them. I like data and I like hearing what they have to say. You know, what's your yes. experience? The subjective is really important too. So that's generally where I start is with blood work or lab testing of some sort. B, I love that I'm in the middle. I love to be in the middle. Yes, there are healers out there and they, I don't know how they work. And it's more like an energetic woo-woo type thing. Right. I wish I had those capabilities, but I don't. And, or at least not that I know of. And I'm not actively using them. I'm using my logical mind along with my intuition to make recommendations. And I always preface it with what has worked for me or, or in my patient population. So like mm -hmm. if there's a medication, there, there is a medication that I'm thinking of uh, that's compounded and it's called low-dose naltrexone that works for a lot of people for autoimmunity and fibromyalgia and you know, you name it, gut issues. And it doesn't work for everyone similar to acupuncture. It works for a lot of people, but doesn't work for everyone. So I always have that conversation and I feel like expectations, just setting expectations is like half the work in medicine. Yeah. And that being said, like sometimes I'm totally surprised that my patient will change one little thing, like go to bed an hour earlier and they're like magically better. So you know what I mean? It, everybody's different and we're yep. all unique. And I always have that conversation. Okay. So you're unique. I don't know how this is going to play out in your body and it's worth a try. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the thing. And the, the medicine aside, right? Like I think the real value of having someone in your position or having any kind of trained physician that you have a relate like a relationship with and I stress this word relationship because I feel like we've like in my situation we've bounced around from doctor to doctor like there's no relationship there I've had in my whole life maybe two doctors that I feel like I had a relationship with and they were those were such valuable relationships for me right? And so I feel like having a person who is a partner with you, whether they're 100% Western medicine or, or whether they have, you know, all this other stuff that they're doing, I don't go to a doctor 
or a physician or a healer or anybody and want them to fix me. What I want them to do is be my partner so that my, I'm, I can fix myself, right? My body can fix itself. Like there's no, nothing out there. Um, there's medicine that can, uh, again, assist in me healing, but it's not, there's no magic. There's nothing that's going to like, you're not going to lay your hands on somebody and like heal them. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like that work Although, is done within. There is just for that therapeutic relationship about a 30% placebo effect, just so you know. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, no, no. I like, that's what I'm saying though, is that that work, even if it's a placebo, it's done inside of you. No, I say it's, holy crap. It's 30% of people. <laughs> That's amazing for just having a therapeutic relationship and oh, saying oh, see, you can yeah. get better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just hearing those words is mm -hmm. like magical that, mm -hmm. and we should maximize that. Like let's yeah. make it 80% of the, of the, you know, yeah. Right. Anyway, so, right. But, yeah. right. Right. And like one of the best doctors I ever had was somebody who was actually very honest and not a hundred percent sure. Like whenever I go to a doctor and they're like, okay, well, we're going to do this, this, and this. Like, how the hell do you know? Like, I've walked into doctor's offices where you sit down and like 20 minutes later, they're like, okay, here's your problem. And here's yeah. what you need to do. And the, the best doctors I've ever had are the ones that will, will be like, well, you know, exactly what you said. First of all, it could be lots of things, but we're going to start here. And they lay out a plan for helping us kind of deduce and yeah. make sense of where we're going. And I really appreciate that because there's a humility there that, again, the doctor doesn't see themselves or the physician doesn't see themselves as fixing you. They see themselves as a partner in helping you fix yourself. And right. to me, that's like an essential thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that you just described my ideal patient, someone who, if you reverse the words, like someone who's looking for a partner to help guide them through this, whatever health crisis or keep them healthy or optimize their health, whatever it is that I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. uh, there are just the internet, like you Google one thing and you get a ridiculous amount of, of of information. It's, it's completely overwhelming for everyone, not just me, but like, I, I can't keep up with all of that. Like the newest, latest, greatest biohack. I don't, I'm learning, like I'll hear about something, but I'll say my patients are my biggest educators. Like they come in and they're like, Oh, this, have you heard about this modality or, or this medication? I think LDN is something I learned about through a patient. You know, it's not something, and I use it a lot now, you know, it's not something that I've also heard other doctors saying, no, I'm never going to, that, that's not, you know, no, I'm not going to open my mind to that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's about finding the right partner and to meet you where you are. Like, maybe you do need someone who's like, this is a hundred percent. We have to do this and you have this and you, you know, go on your merry way. Great. Go find that person. I look for people who want to be a partner with me and mm -hmm. I can help guide them to heal their own body and empower themselves. That is yeah. exactly what I, I seek in a patient. That Good. being said, I'm not perfect I, by any means. I might, I make mistakes. I, things fall through the cracks, you know, like it's just, I'm just a human, but, um, you know, I, and again, I don't have all the answers, but I right. definitely know that. <laughs> right. Well, that, like I'm saying, like that is, that is an essential thing because 
what is so frustrating is this idea that there's this special class of humans who are know-all and be-all. And look, I have lots of respect for people who have dedicated their lives to medicine and who have sought that intense experience of academic and practical learning and are also generally, you know, have taken an oath to help people. Like, I respect that, but also exactly what you said, they're human. (laughs) We're all human. So it just, you know, to me... And things are constantly changing. Yeah, yeah. All the time. I don't think any doctor prior to the internet had this rapid amount of information changing constantly, like Mm. new drugs, new therapies. I mean, just look at how fast the the COVID vaccine has come out or is Mm -hmm. coming out, like, which is slightly concerning. I'm not going to lie. I'm not (laughs) the first in line for, for, I I tend to, I'm old school. I like things to be played out first with (laughs) everyone else before I'll prescribe it for my patient. Uh Uh-huh. But, and that goes for all medicines. Like I don't do new medications. They're also super expensive. So I don't see why anyone would use them. But anyway, um, you know, I, I just think that there's so much information and we're so overwhelmed and I kind of like to just go back to the basics. Yeah. And again, it just brings up the point. If I'm in a, God forbid, in a car accident and have a trauma, I need a trauma surgeon who's going to take the reins and, and I, I don't want their you know, I want them to be completely the best, you know, surgeon and, and super a type and do it. Yes. You know, right, or right. A heart attack, you want that cardiologist to know what they're doing. Right. right. So it varies by modality. So that's also important to say. It's true. But I think that most, most of the relationships that we have with doctors, like I don't, like you don't have necessarily a relationship with your surgeon. Like those, that is a, that is a very specialized and, you know, specific thing that needs to be done. It's a very technical skill, but how many times in your life do you need that? Right. Right. Hopefully very, very few, if any. And, but at the, on the other hand, it's the day-to-day living. Your health is not something that just, that just, you know, you can ignore, like it, it is a concern that you think about. I mean, good Lord, how often, like, especially now that I'm in my forties, like how often, like we get together socially with our friends and what do we talk about? We talk about our health all the damn time, (laughs) our conditions and our medications and what we're eating and whether we're exercising and what, like that is a huge, and the older you get, that's like the topic of conversation. So all I'm saying is, yes, there's a, there's a place for technical skill when it comes to medicine, but that isn't what most, how most people are engaged with medicine as an industry or, or as an idea. And I feel like, and yet I feel like the way that our healthcare system is set up is that we're being forced to engage with it in that, in that as a, as a purely technical thing. Right. Like, right. Like it's an archaic system. I mean, it comes from it, the system itself has not really changed other than managed care mm-hmm. since I don't know, 200 years. It's, we're talking like the, the term residency comes from the doctors living in the hospital as wow. residents. You like, you know, we still, the Hippocratic oath is there's a more modern one where doctors are not um, putting their own health at risk. I mean, yes, in a virus, in a, but, but there's some like ownership of like, I'm not gonna work myself to death to help others. Right. 
like there's some boundaries. Right. Uh Right. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking when you were talking, like the story that you told about, you know, when you discovered this different path while you were in med school, the, the juxtaposition between, you know, this super intense uh, experience of like, I don't know if it was residency. It was like, you were, you were, you were doing, you know, huh? In Arizona, the self-care part. Yeah, like when you went there and you were able to sort of relax a little bit, like you had all, had all this really intense education and like, you know, these experiences and like practice and then and then you finally go to this place and you're like, oh, I should be taking care of myself too. Like that's a huge piece. Like why would you, why would you train the people who are, whose job it is to take care of other people to punish themselves? <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. That's, that's a million dollar question right that's there. That's so weird. That's a whole nother episode because I, yeah. And I it's notorious. Like I've talked to lots of doctors and they'll tell you residency and all of that. Like even the last year or so of med school, it's just so hard yeah. physically and mentally and emotionally and in every way. I used to wonder why they were training us for the apocalypse. And now with COVID, I do understand that because honestly, a lot of doctors are living through that right now. And yeah, it makes sense. I'm very fortunate to not have to deal with that. But if you're a pulmonologist or ICU doc, you're working every day, like yeah. for months right now. So um, I get that. But yeah, I, I, honest, I had those thoughts. Like, why are they training us for the apocalypse? Like we have so much information and we can look things up and, you know, there's all this stuff. And, but the bottom line is it all comes down to money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes down to the, the industry it, itself and, and the hospitals have to keep their lights on. And it's a really unfortunate situation that we've gotten ourselves into, but that again, a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Tell me what your practice is now. So my practice is at where like, or yeah. Like what does it look like? Where um, do you work? At West Holistic Medicine downtown in Austin. Um, so ninth and West and mm-hmm. it's a cute, really nurturing space. Um, we are seeing patients by telemedicine and both and in person. And we just offer really personalized, high quality, high touch care. That's mm-hmm. really the bottom line. And then there's, you know, I have my specialization in, in integrative medicine and um, we, do, we don't see kids or pregnant women. I mean, if you're trying to conceive, that's a different story, but yeah. And yeah, we're taking new patients and we all were, we have an acupuncturist in the house, in the clinic named Jameson. He's fantastic. And he takes some insurance plans. So that's good. And then otherwise we're all fee for service, um, out of network and yeah. um, we take HSAs and FSAs. So that's a good thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I will definitely include, you know, links to all your stuff on, in my show notes, um, especially if people are here in Austin and now with telemedicine, I guess you could see people anywhere. In Texas and North Carolina. So as licensed practitioners, we're not really allowed to see patients anywhere where we're not licensed. Got it. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So then let me ask you this final question because because I think it's an important question. And that is, do you love your job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. I love what I do. Yeah. You know, obviously there are things that need to be improved upon, um, but I love helping people 
in this way. It's really um, rewarding, really rewarding. You know, I would love to not have to document every little detail and, you know, spend less time there. Um, but other than that, and I'd love to go travel the world for a living, but, you know, <laughs> not quite there yet. Still, yeah, I'm a long ways away, but, but yeah, I do. I love it. That's good. That's good. And I'm glad to hear it because I actually worry a lot about good doctors because there is so much pressure on doctors and physicians and, and anyone who does any kind of work like this. And, but doctors aren't taught that ever. We're like, you have to work 24 seven and you know, everyone else's needs come before yours. And, and, and in some situations that's accurate. Like mm-hmm. if someone's coding in front of you, like, yeah, their needs take precedent, you know, right, right. Heart attack. yeah, but um, pretty much for the most part, you know, we need to put our own oxygen masks on first. That's right. That is right. Yeah. And if you ask me, that's good medicine. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Is there anything else you think my listeners should know from the great Dr. Ashley Maltz before we sign off? Um, no, I think, I think we're, we've covered a lot. We have. We have. It's such a good conversation. Uh, each of these are so different. And, uh, but like, this is just, this conversation has flown by. I can't, I, I just looked at the clock. I'm like, what? Is <laughs> whenever you talk to somebody who's just smart and on their game and passionate about what they do, the time just flies. And I hope that the people who are listening are also, were also get caught up because I mean, that's the whole point of this, right? This yeah. is that there are so many interesting people in my life and in the world that I want I want to share that with the world. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes, please come back another time. I will. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves.